breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Week to week, we touch the the fault lines between political Islam and the West and secularism and democracy. And also look at some of the areas that relate to American security, global security, against the jihad, against various regimes that foment radicalism, harbor terrorism, but also harbor the ideologies that radical that radicalize Muslims. And also, as I wear other hats, sometimes we talk about COVID, the pandemic, economics, whatever it might be. But I can guarantee you that this is not filtered. This is not watered down. This is not woke. And it is unadulterated honesty from me about what I think our country, our republic, needs to pay attention to when it comes to especially Muslim reform, but a number of issues also. This week we have a lot to talk about. Uh, uh, Envoy Kerry has uh, stepped in it again, and his real, I think his real face is exposed. And we'll talk about what the heck he was saying to Foreign Minister Zarif in Iran. We'll also talk about Judge Qureshi, a American Muslim judge who I really had not heard much about, but now is getting the ire of the Islamists, despite being appointed by President Biden. How is that? And then talking about race and, and bigotry, Senator Tim Scott gave a response to President Biden's first long overdue speech to Congress, joint session to Congress, and he was labeled in racist terms that he responded to very, very clearly and vociferously. And boy, we've seen that before, haven't we? I'll talk to, I'll talk about uh, some of the uh, uh, common areas that we, in the counter-Islamist area, see when it comes to racial identity politics. And then what's happening in Mozambique? And what did Prime Minister Khan in Pakistan call for the West to do? So, let's start with Senator Kerry. It is horrifically embarrassing that our envoy, our envoy on climate change, I don't even know what that position is. I mean, as if climate is going to be solved by by things that uh, he had eight years to do under the Obama administration and he could not do. But bottom line is, is a leaked tape, and this story was brought to you by uh, the Washington Free Beacon, which has done unbelievable work on this, especially with Adam Credo. They obtained audio of conversation between Foreign Minister Zarif, Javid Zarif, and former Secretary Kerry. Leaked audio tape indicates that Zarif had no knowledge of covert Israeli military strikes before former Secretary of State John Kerry provided him with the information, new details that contradict the State Department's recent defense of Kerry. So last week, there was a story that they had audio tapes in which Kerry actually let him know of 200 different operations that Israel completed inside Syria. Iran was not aware, and he responded aghast and said he did not know that that was true. Now, this recent tape exposes that Zarif said he did not know it was true. The original tape exposed what Kerry said, 
that he he basically spoke to one of the world's sponsors of terror, one of our greatest enemies on the planet, and exposed secrets, information. Now, their response from the State Department was that that was, oh, public information that they had done that. Well, did Secretary Kerry obtain it from the New York Times or publicly, or did he obtain it by privy of his secret and top secret information that he gets in his briefings in his portfolios every morning? and the Secretary of State. And then the response of the State Department was that, well, that was well known. Beacon goes on. These details are likely to further fuel calls for leading Republicans for Kerry's firing or resignation. The New York Times reported that Zarif said on the tape that Kerry told him Israel launched 200 airstrikes against Iranian interest in Syria. So here you have a hotbed of chemical weapons and other aspects of, of multiple factions in a civil war and genocidal affairs from the Assad regime. And Kerry's having a casual conversation with him about Israeli operations in that region. The Times did not provide further details, but an independent translation of the audio tape commissioned by the Washington Free Beacon shows that Zarif went on to clarify that he had no known prior knowledge of these Israeli strikes before Kerry told him. Kerry told me that Israel had launched 200 airstrikes against you, Iran, said Zarev. You didn't know? asked his interviewer. No, 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 he replied. He did not. And it contradicts the State Department's story. And I think what's key here is why, why would Kerry be so obsequious to want to endear himself? I mean, why else would it be? As they try to, that the bigger question is not being answered in the media today. Not only did he say it or did Zarif know, Zarif is untrustworthy for all we know, but bottom line, this is a private audio recording, so it's pretty, pretty factual, and Kerry has not denied sharing that information with him. But the, the crux of the matter is why does somebody in the prominent position for the United States of America, Secretary Kerry, now envoy Kerry, feel that he needs to just be so in a need to be liked by Zarif that he shares with him sensitive information about the country that he hates the most, Israel. So it's obvious that Kerry also is no friend of Israel, that in an attempt to endear himself, that he is so want to be liked by Zarif and get a deal that he was simply willing to talk about how there were all these attacks in Syria against their interests. And what's happening in Syria, by the way, I'll remind you, tens of thousands of IRGC, Iranian Republican Guard Corps, were committing operations and acting right hand-in-hand with the Assad regime in a scorched-earth policy against moderates across the country. Don't think that they were attacking ISIS. It took the United States to go in and make sure ISIS was dem- uh, was de- destroyed, demolished by the Trump administration in its first six months and Secretary Mattis. But Kerry just wanted to be liked. So if anything shows his his character, it's this. His faulty, anti-American character 
from the time he had his affair of getting out of serving in Vietnam to his service as Secretary of State. Say what you want, but this gets to the edge, gets to the edge of treason. Providing secrets. Senator Cruz called for his resignation and called for hearings to discuss what happened. They're probably waiting for it to blow over. Tells you where this administration, the Biden administration is and where its head is at concerning our friends and our allies and our enemies in the Middle East. Shows you who they are trumpeting for. Next, Slate, the far-left progressivist rag, Slate, ran a piece this week, and I'm going to proceed before I tell you about the title of the piece. President Biden appointed the first federal judge who's Muslim in the history of the United States. Still hasn't been approved yet, but made a lot of brouhaha about how he was going to have a diverse appointment process and this will be the highest appointment in the legal world for an American Muslim. The, the, the nominee, Zahed Qureshi, was a New Jersey magistrate judge that I had not heard before. I thought I'd do some research and find out what his opinions were. I haven't done that yet, but actually I think this story is better without me having done that because... Just knowing who doesn't like him makes me think uh, maybe Americans should pay attention that uh, Biden, uh, like a stopped clock, happened to get this right. Stopped clock is right uh, twice a day. Biden got this one right. Maybe he'll get one other thing right. But Slate Magazine goes ahead and now functions as simply a mouthpiece, a propaganda piece for the Council on American-Islamic Relations. And the piece opens in March. President Biden announced he would nominate Zahid Qureshi, a magistrate judge in New Jersey since 2019, to join the U.S. District Court for New Jersey, a post that would make him the first Muslim federal judge in America. Presented as part of an effort to make the federal judiciary reflect the full diversity of the American people, Qureshi's nomination has earned some plaudits and the endorsement of several state legal groups, including the Asian Pacific American Lawyers Association of Jersey and the South Asian Bar Association of New Jersey. But privately, privately, some Muslim Americans, including lawyers, elected officials, and political operatives are arguing among themselves about the choice. Many are hostile to it. All unnamed. These are unnamed, folks. They didn't. Th- this, this Islamist who wrote this piece by the name of Ayman Ismail, a known Islamist operative, writing for Slate, continued to cite unnamed sources. They say the Biden administration, quote, sidestepped many Muslim American civil rights organizations to nominate Qureshi, and that many of his legal positions are unknown. Most troublingly to them, they point to his resume, specifically his past work as a lawyer for the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, and while serving in the military during the Iraq War as a detention advisor. So this press release, oh, I'm sorry, Slate piece for CARE, 
goes on to say, listen to this, if, if, if you don't find what I've told you so far offensive, I mean, this guy served his country. He was a JAG officer for the U.S. Army. And, I, and I'm pretty confident he's pretty liberal. So I wasn't that happy about it as a conservative. But it's pretty obvious he doesn't, uh, uh, he's not heaped, admired, and swimming in political Islamic organizations because they aren't happy. They said, quote, I believe it's the, and, and by the way, again, anonymous. I believe it's the wrong guy, said one Muslim former elected official in New Jersey who asked not to be named because of the political sensitivity of the nomination. Oh, really? Maybe because you don't want to be named because you're a blooming coward. Ask any African-American how happy they are about Clarence Thomas, this anonymous coward said. It's a very similar perspective at a bunch of different levels, he said. Clarence Thomas. First of all, the analogy, I get it, right? They're talking about identity, politic, race-related identification where individuals don't toe the line of quote-unquote the majority of their race but being muslim is not a race and this guy actually is in the same political spectrum as his appointee his appointer president biden appointed a liberal judge most likely I guarantee you he's not a conservative, family values-oriented judge. And yet, they say he's the wrong guy. Because the race politics didn't work for them. The officials said the arguments and anger about Qureshi's nomination are happening in private because many are involved, are elected officials, or part of large organizations that do not want to publicly oppose the Biden administration. Oh, this is great. It actually blatantly says that we are cowards to take on our own party. They are so cowardly, they can't say anything against their own party. It says that. And and, and the, the leftist rag, the slate, reports that. Several of them told me they plan to closely watch closely watch Qureshi's Senate confirmation hearing set for Wednesday for more answers about his legal record. And it goes on, we don't, we don't know what his stances are on civil rights because you can't find one article or anything that he's written publicly about the Muslim struggle in the last 20 years post 9-11, the former elected official told me. If I'm supposed to be happy for somebody, then he should have affinity of the same things that I believe in. Oh, really? What about all the appointees that had little to no qualifications that they had in the Obama administration? and various and sundry positions by the Islamist lobby pushed forth under the name of American Muslims when many of us were repulsed by their appointments. Qureshi was born in New York in 1975, graduated from Rutgers Law in 2000, and he joined the Army in 2003 where he became a captain in the U.S. Army Judge Advocate General Corps. And then, oh, bring out the most anti-American, uh, blood-curdling representative of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, Zahra Balu. Zahra Balu is a civil rights lawyer and executive director of CARE San Francisco. And by the way, who notoriously, among other ideas, feels we should not, no Muslim should celebrate Memorial Day because 
the American military is inherently fascistic and going around killing Muslims. I mean, talk about offensive. A holiday that celebrates those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. And she openly tweets and speaks against the holiday. That's not, if that's not a separatist, a, a insurgent, I don't know what is. She said he joined the military after 9-11, after the Iraq war began. This was a time when Abu Ghraib was open. Okay, what did he have to do with it? Oh, the government was suggesting the law didn't matter, she said, that they were above the law. So was he advising them on how to skirt the law? What was he doing? It's just a gaping hole. We don't know. What a blooming idiot. Seriously, do you know how many JAG lawyers? She knows nothing about the military. Do you know how many JAG lawyers are in the, in the army? And she wouldn't know that his opinions that he gave internally would not be released. He can be asked about that in the hearing, but that would be a reason to oppose him? It's just simply absurd. A Muslim former Biden staffer and lawyer who spoke on the condition he not be named, another one of these, said he was the JAG attorney who oversaw detention policy in Iraq during the time of the Abu Ghraib in the Iraq war, he said. We don't know what he said. He could have given good legal opinions or bad ones. The problem is that we don't know. If Qureshi did defend the extra-legal detention practices of the time, that's grounds to reject him. So do you notice how these folks, it's not about Muslim issues, really for Muslim uh, faith adherence, that are things that we would um, uh, be high on our priority list, be it uh, the uh, legalisms of constitutional law, protection of, of uh, free speech, the protection of freedom of religion. No, this is about the targeting of, of use of certain techniques in a foreign conflict. And they don't even know that he did it. It is completely pathologic, and it shows you that this candidate must probably be a good guy. I don't know. Maybe he's got some crazy uh, crazy rulings also, and I don't even know what his ideology is. Um, I haven't looked it up. It's time to research it, but all I can tell you is that the Islamists are apoplectic, and they're doing so in a, in a crazy type of anonymous way. It's amazing during the Trump administration— and during previous administrations, many of us were critical of policies, critical of certain appointments, critical of other things. And, and they thought this was the normal process. And they even said they needed more, that somehow because we are, I'm a conservative, so therefore I need to be super critical of an administration that actually put into place policies, most of which I agreed with. And they wanted to play the politics of personal destruction with personal Trump, with President Trump. And now, within a hundred days, these spineless jellyfish can't even get their names out to question a nomination, while they assassinate the nomination left and right because it's not an Islamist. So you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, that if you don't toe the line as an Islamist. They will throw you under whether you're a Democrat or not. Next, before we get off the topic of sort of identity politics, race baiting, and other aspects of the left that's just becoming uh, patently absurd, 
This previous week, Senator Tim Scott gave an unbelievably poignant, genuine, honest, humble response to President Biden's Capitol Hill address to the joint session of Congress. And as David Harsanyi wrote for the National Review, he said, Tim Scott gave a competent Republican response to Joe Biden's mendacious speech last night. And boy, the contrived hyperbolic outrage and derision we saw from liberal talking heads was something to behold. As as the pundits became apoplectic because he's, his message resonated clearly far better than Sleepy Joe's did, Arsani says Scott's most controversial statement allegedly was to contend that America is not a racist country. All the usual suspects took to social media to mock the senator for simultaneously saying the nation wasn't racist and pointing out that he had personally experienced bigotry. Of course America is a racist nation, they wailed, before getting Uncle Tim trending on Twitter to try and prove that it was racist. But by them. And I think David brings a good point, uh, among many others, but he said, Scott's two claims are wholly compatible. Bad actors and ugly ideas exist among people of all nations and always will, and yet that does not necessarily mean the nation itself is fundamentally, legally, culturally, or systemically racist. We can always do better, but by world standards, the United States is likely the least racist place. And, and he never alleged that racism wasn't existent in America. He just said labeling it black and white as racist. It's not a binary conversation. It's not a either all or none. It's such an absurd, absurd mechanism in which to have a conversation in America with such varied degrees of areas that need work and other areas that need to be celebrated. Scott wrote a police reform bill. And Democrats did everything they could to filibuster it, to ignore it. And now they're calling it a relic of Jim Crow. Van Jones at CNN argued that his message was nonsense and that the senator had lost African Americans by the tens of millions by denying what everyone knew was true about America. And yet, Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, when asked, she said, I don't think America's a racist country. So, which is it? It's okay for her to say it while she also says other things repeatedly that say that it is. But facts don't matter to these folks, do they? Reality doesn't matter. Blaming and hating America doesn't matter. And by the way, in the last few minutes together today, I want to tell you, what is it? If you ask why, why are the Islamists... The jihadists, the lobbyists for political Islam, why are they working so hand in glove with the far left? What, there, there's no, what are the commonalities? I'll tell you what it is. And here this week, it's finally coming into laser focus. The hate for America. The progressivists set aside the Islamists want to label America a racist and, and corrupt country. They want to label us all as bigots. They want the founding fathers' statues to be removed. They want history to be erased. They have a 1619 project from the New York Times that 
labels that year as the one that created America on the history of slavery and not on the history of freedom and liberty and the rights enshrined by our Bill of Rights and our Constitution. We are not a perfect nation. Our history is not perfect. But we are a nation with a lot to be proud of and a lot to protect and to die for. Remember, I've told you many times on this program that the what, what prevents radicalizations of Islamists is the belief that you'd want to die for America. You want to die for the message that is this country and not for the jihad, for their Islamic state, for their green flag with Allahu Akbar written on it or Quranic scripture written on it. No, our religion is private and we will not allow our youth, for those of us who love America and hate the jihad and want to defeat the jihad and want to destroy the jihadists, we will not allow those ideas to infiltrate the consciousness and separate our youth out from this country. But the left is working synergistically with the Islamists because they both seem to be screaming the same things from the rooftops, but for different reasons. One side says America is going to Iraq and elsewhere to destroy the world, to destroy free people, to spread fascism and colonialism. That's the Islamists, the conspiracy theories, the ones that don't know the reality behind the families that that said goodbye to their young sons and daughters as they went to fight in a foreign land to keep us free. The reality of what it is to be an American and love your fellow citizens. When I served in Somalia, when I served on the USS El Paso, we went simply to take food and walked into a tribal conflict that at the time was called the CNN war because they demanded that the that the human tragedy that was happening there be ended and we quickly then pulled out after our troops and others were attacked and we did the, as little as we could as much as we could with as little harm as we could to protect life on all sides. But yet the Ilhan Omars of the world say we were the terrorists in Somalia, like she said in 2017. And that resonates with the left that now hates the Tim Scotts of the world and addresses him as an African-American senator, addresses him as Uncle Tim as it trends, and say that tens of millions aren't listening to him when in fact they don't even want to listen to his ideas because to them it's all about painting America as evil, painting America as bigoted, painting America as needing as a country to bend on our knees down and apologize for things that most of us weren't, didn't even have family here at the time. Most of us have already not only spoken for the equality of all, but worked to perfect all the changes that have happened since the civil rights movement of the 60s and continue to speak out against racism and bigotry of all forms, against all races that are attacked. 
from anti-Semitism to bigotry against the African-American community. We need to fight all forms of bigotry. But no, when it comes to Louis Farrakhan and his bigotry against the Jews, the anti-Semitism is ignored by the left. It's ignored by the left when Ilhan Omar tweets offensive things about the state of Israel and about American Jews. It doesn't matter to them. And I told you I'd talk about the nexus as Uncle Tim trended. You remember when I testified to Congress, Uncle Zudi was something that Hussam Elush tweeted multiple times, the head of care in L.A. Facebook page was sprouted by a number of individuals that posted on it that I was a clown and Uncle Tom. This is the way they attack when they don't want to deal with the ideas. When we spoke about the need for reform against political Islam, when we spoke about the need to come to terms with modernity, when we spoke about the need to counter the ideas of misogyny, of anti-Semitism, of conspiracy theories, of blasphemy laws and Sharia and Islamic State concepts and all these things that are so pervasive in states like the Islamic Republic of Pakistan and Iran and Saudi Arabia and Syria and the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt and Turkey. How many times did we speak up about the need to address these things and we, the message, the topics... The, the 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 material was ignored. The messenger was attacked. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is relevant to you. And those of us fighting Islamism know it very well. We see this. We saw it. We tried to tell you what was happening. And people said, oh, this seems to be something peculiar to Muslims. That's sort of uh, uh, the way they're at. Maybe they're not theocrats. Maybe the, maybe the Muslim reform movement's wrong. Well, Now you're seeing America attacked. Now you're seeing our history attacked. Now you're seeing conservative senators of color attacked. Ezra Nomani spoke out about critical race theory in the number one high school in the country, Thomas Jefferson High School, and how the Asian community was being vilified by the critical race theory advocates because they want to indoctrinate and they didn't care that a majority or a significant number of the kids are, are are not white in that school. What they cared was that they wanted to push critical race theory. And in her Federalist piece, she talks about indoctrination. Take a look at it. But all I can tell you is that the reason it's important that Ezra wrote this, Ezra and I were the first to testify 2011 to Congress about the problems of political Islam and the Muslim Brotherhood groups and the, and the theocratic mindset that is so un-American, anti-American, and anti-Muslim of these groups because they want to attack Muslims that don't wear the hijab, Muslims that decide they want to be free and criticize a more medieval, draconian mindset when it comes to Islam. But the powers that be said that they were the establishment, they were the Muslim advocates to speak on our behalf, and we were simply... Those other Muslims didn't matter what we said. And now, as Ezra writes for the Federalist uh, last week about indoctrination in that school and critical race theory, you're starting to see the constant nexus between 
the Islamists and progressivists, and the nexus between us and the anti-Islamist movement for liberty and freedom and in the conservative movement are those who reject the blindness and collectivism of the far-left progressivists. Let's save Mozambique for next week. I think what we talked about today is so important as you look at the lay of the land politically between the left and the Islamists, that, that bond is going to continue to harden and going to continue to be more of a threat to our democracy. So we need to come together, those of us who are anti-Islamist, pro-freedom, pro-liberty, centrist, whatever we may be, we need to expose that our country's way of life is at stake. I talked in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam. Now I'm starting to hear a lot of people talk about Battle of the Soul of America. The Democratic Party had that as its campaign mantra for Biden. But the bottom line is, is the soul of America is going to be destroyed by the left. And that's what they're trying to do as they push forth this radical progressivist agenda that is simply done with the face, with the face of anti-racism and anti-bigotry when in fact it's all about race baiting and bigotry itself. Thank you for joining me. We will be back next week on Reform This. Find me at the Blaze Podcast Network. Find me on Twitter at Reform This Radio and also at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. For the Muslims out there, continue to have a wonderful wonderful Ramadan and we will catch you next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.